0: Well, holy mackerel, everybody. I am amazed. The uh, I finally made it in. I didn't think I was going to make it. I really didn't. So I'm very glad to be here. So what's been going on with the coronavirus and everything? You know, I'm just going to remind you, wash your hands. But the other thing you might want to do is use a neti pot. Because I keep hearing that the issue is when the droplets get in your nose. So what if you're washing out your nose every morning and night and maybe during the day if you're in the mood? That might be a way to keep yourself healthier. That's all I wanted to say. Good morning. This is Granny D, Dorcas Smith, out of Plymouth, Michigan. A little bit sort of off balance because I couldn't get into the call and I'm going, oh, what are we going to do? Oh, dear. But we made it. Yay! This is the New Skin Weight Management Call, TR90 and Body Burn 30. Amazing programs, and it's all about exercise movement, and you know, I'm going to say it again, it's all about exercise. It's it's not even exercise. It's moving. Moving, moving, moving. Even if you don't get to do weight-bearing exercise, if you can walk upstairs, that's weight-bearing exercise. And If you just live your life and are active and you vacuum and you dust and you do other things around your house now that you're all locked in, there are many ways on a cold day to get 10,000 steps and look after your body. And I truly believe that move is the way to live. Okay, I've been reading to you from Go Wild by John Ratey, MD, and Richard Manning. And the byline is, eat fat, run free, be social, follow evolution's other rules for total health and well-being. Well, I'm on to the last chapter, and I'm so sad, because I have found this to be one of the most life-changing books in my life for quite some time. I am changing what I do because of the things that these gentlemen have found in their studies. And I understand different things. Like a simple thing. When you give someone a hug, we get a squirt of oxytocin. If you see a lonely animal and you give them a cuddle, you give them a squirt of oxytocin and they feel better. So... I've just been remembering to give my dog a whole lot of more hugs than I used to because I know it gives her a squirt of oxytocin and it makes her so much happier and peaceful. I didn't know that before. And um, homeostasis and allostasis, and the fact that you need to stress your body at times to make it stronger. And it's okay. Stress is all right, especially if you're trying to get yourself to grow. It's just 24-7 stress is not a good idea. So the other part of stress is when you stress your body, you also need to rest. So don't forget to rest. Another one is get those eight hours in if you can. I had no idea the importance of sleep. Get that sleep in. It's magical and it heals your heart and it heals your mind. It heals your soul. And dance. <laughs> Please dance. All right. Chapter 10. These are, It's actually the reason I've been saying what I've been saying is because Chapter 10 is personal implications. What we did and what you can do too. Indeed, the sources of our happiness are complicated, rooted as they are in the complexity of our bodies, but also, as we have argued, in the complexities of the twists and turns of our individual life stories, all of which forces the conclusion that there is no single prescription for well-being. Find yours. Given this, the temptation is to paraphrase our favorite advice on writing from the great journalist A.J. Liebling. L-I-E-B-L-I-N-G. The only way to live is well, and how you do that is your own damn business. <laughs> I'll say that again. Go, go A.J. Liebling. The only way to live life The only way to live is well, and how you do that is your own damn business. But, as John Rady says, this is a cop-out of sorts. There is a better way to deal with the matter of personal prescription. Our bodies and minds are endowed by evolution with marvelous systems tuned to attend to our happiness. So, our task is to learn to listen to those systems and to stay out of their way. As they have argued since the beginning of the book, if this grail of well-being is so elusive, so unattainable, then why can hunter-gatherers who have never heard of the scientific marvels that we have cited here achieve what we are after? without even really trying. Yes, living organisms are complex, but now it is time to shift gears and deliver, as they promised. That is, and Manning, some synthesis of all this that you might use in your own life Both authors have learned through years of public appearances that audiences will often ask pointed questions that eliminates the cop out, if not offering a prescription. Yeah, yeah, they say, but what do you do? Right? Isn't that what we do when we want, when we're talking to our bankers or our financiers? Yeah, okay, give me all the sites, but what do you do? I want to do the things that you're doing same with our teachers. There are a lot of scientific uncertainties and dueling studies that plague this issue. What do we do? But the simple and necessary realization is that in all really interesting questions of science, there is no such thing as certainty. And yet there is certainty that each of us must live a life. And each of us must make the choices that guide that process. We, each of the authors, did not hatch and assemble the ideas that brought us to this point solely from within the confines of research, inquiry, conversation, and logic. These notions came to us like most after years of living, after experience. This book is not an academic exercise for either of us, but rather a product of living our real and textured textured lives. So each, in his turn, we are now going to give you some, some parts of our personal stories, especially recent parts, when we used our own bodies as laboratories for exploring these ideas. The truth is, Our lives changed greatly during the process of writing this book. Changed for the better. And we think that our experiences might offer some guideposts for your own explorations. John Rasey says, Probably, like many of you reading this, my life can be described as hectic overscheduled, too much to do with too little time. In addition to running a psychiatric practice in Cambridge, Massachusetts, I teach, I lecture around the world, I write books and papers, and if that isn't enough, I have a biocoastal relationship with my wife, Alicia, a television producer in Los Angeles, which sends me on planes back and forth between coasts. Over the years, I have certainly been guilty of getting too little sleep, grabbing a hot dog and a soda on on the run, being too wired after spending hours at the computer, returning email, checking the news, the latest science reports, and even the the New England Patriot scores. In the city jungles of Boston and L.A., nature is not really available and certainly finding quality time to spend with my tribe, recently made bigger by the important addition of my very first grandchild, hasn't always been easy. But change can happen. If I, John Ray, can incorporate the concepts laid out in this book in my own hectic life, thereby creating... A healthier physical self, along with a greater sense of emotional well-built being, then so can you. Of course, my life didn't start out in so many directions at a frenzied and somewhat unhealthy pace. When I look back on my childhood, I see how wild, in quotation marks, I really was without even knowing it. I grew up in Beaver, Pennsylvania, a small town outside Pittsburgh, where we lived in a real old-style neighborhood. Tribe, in quotation marks, was important. Beaver was a place where everybody knew and cared for one another, and with the usual crabs and discontented votes, but mainly people who were strivers of Tom Brokoff's Greatest Generation. Our food was natural and home-cooked. My mother always had a garden, and we delighted in the fresh summer tastes of tomatoes, onions, leaf lettuce, and carrots. Sleep was regimented, and when the day ended, there was little TV, let alone the digital life that wires us now. Rather than playing video games or texting friends, my job was to play vigorously with my close band of buddies, Fred and Joe. And we were always on the move. From almost the time we could walk, it seemed that every kid in town was playing Little League on the field or touch football on a neighbor's front lawn. We were frequently in the elements, running through the nearby woods, playing cowboys and Indians, putting our architectural prowess to the test as we built forts in the backyard with giant piles of leaves, or just doing nothing as we sat on the banks of the Ohio River fishing for carp and catfish. As I grew up, my understanding of sleep, diet, movement, nature, meditation, and the importance of connection also grew. Over the years, I've been fortunate to delve into these areas, taught by some of the most impressive academic and professional minds out there. Looking back, I now see where, even as lessons were being firmly implanted into my intellectual self, in my personal life, I frequently moved farther and farther away from my wild child days and my inherent generic roots. All right, I'm going to read, One more paragraph and then we'll stop and we'll finish it next week. Upon moving from Beaver and on to medical school, sleep was one of the first things to go. I was surviving on fumes, burning the candle at both ends as a medical student and resident at Massachusetts Massachusetts Medical Health Center. If I could have, I would have stayed awake 24-7, because this was the mecca of psychiatric training. There I met with the world-famous sleep researcher, Dr. Alan Hobson. The irony is, although I was sleep-deprived then, he would become a good friend, guide, and mentor. We spent our days and nights in a lab, observing animal behavior and studies of sleep onset and trying to unpack what sleep was. This was the beginning of neuroscience. Sleep was a subject of great interest and seemed as though we would discover what it was for. But, as we have said in our sleep chapter, we still don't know that answer, and we still don't know why we sleep. I think we sleep because that's when we put all the experiences of the day into our brain and then we decide what we want to save and what we don't want to save, and we put it in our short term and our long or into our long term memory, and we learn, and we make mistakes, and we practice, and we dream. Anyway, that's just me. I knew that eight hours was necessary for a good night's sleep, but in my whole life I had never got to that close to this regimen. I was the wellness revolutionary who was proud of how little sleep he needed and even bragged about it. I realize now how wrong I was, and today I see the That the more sleep I get, the better. And I'm going to stop there because my comment on on my book was, Me Too. All righty, let me take this and open it to conversation and words to say goodbye. (laughs) Bye. That's funny. All right. There you go, everybody. You can talk. Thank you. <laughs> now, well, a little dab of you're... tea tree in that uh, neti pot wouldn't go amiss either. No, I know. I suddenly thought of that. Well, no, I didn't suddenly think of it. I do it every day. But I suddenly thought that I needed to tell everybody to remember to use a neti pot. Yes, with a little bit of tea tree, surely it'll clean you out. And isn't it all about those little moist droplets getting into your system? Well, and you also have to worry about your eyes, too, because that that might be a way that it would get in. You can't put tea tree in your eyes, so, but
1: No, nose is but the if next you best wash, thing. No, ha-
0: but if you wash your hands all the time, then it won't be a problem so much for you getting it in your eyes. And so that if you go out, my thought is, like, if I have to go shopping. Maybe when I come home, I could do a tea tree, wash my face and hands, and then I know that the important areas of my face and hands, I can touch my face and I'm not going to have little spray droplets going into my aspiration or into my respiratory system. You know That's me, so data, true. data, data, let's think of how we can solve this problem. Absolutely. <laughs> So I hope you enjoyed that and found it interesting. And he's got lots more stuff to tell you. Um, So it's interesting. A lot of of, uh, Raythe's observations are my observations, which I'm rather pleased with because it means I think we're on the same page. (laughs) Yes, it (laughs) does. Well, he he said, when you write a book, it should change your life. Well, I think sometimes when you read a book, if it's a good one, it should change your life too. Don't you Absolutely. remember all the? Don't you remember all those significant books that that changed how you thought about things? Yes. Yeah, I mean, he even referred to Eric Fromm's *The Art of Living*. Holy b- Lord, I could not believe it! That was one of the books in a second year English class that I remember significantly changing my life. And then because of that book, I decided to love myself. It was a major, major change in life. You know, the message was, you can love yourself. Nobody else does. You can do it. And you can heal yourself. And now along came John Ray and said, "Yep, he understood the art of loving. So that's awesome. Yes, you did. Anyway, <laughs> have a great day, everybody. And thank you for trying and working so hard to get on the line today because I heard a whole lot of pongs as I was starting to get ready to talk. Thank you. And tomorrow we have Victoria Perper speaking, and she is our dental hygienist and um, meditation mentor. So I know she's going to have something interesting to tell us and share with us. See you tomorrow. Yes, indeed. Have a good day. Bye-bye.